Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, a Scion TC special edition. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. You can spot that Alan wrote the title for this one. Uh, so, come on then, Alan. What is a Scion TC? The literal full name is actually the Scion TC base models. That, that's it. That is, there is no. It's really just Scion TC because they only offered one model, unless it was a special edition. So there, you can take that and stick it, frankly, <laughs> in a very grown-up fashion. Come on, then. What is the Scion TC, and why are we talking about it, Alan? Well, we're talking about it because I bought one. There we go. That's why. What is it is a far more complicated discussion, because as ever, Alan has bought a Bitzer. Okay. As in, it's bits of this car and it's bits of that car. As is is the way. In case people have missed it, I am currently in the US of A. And to be in the US of A, I kind of needed a car. <laughs> that famously pedestrian-friendly country. <laughs> yes, wonderfully. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm in Massachusetts. It is actually not bad for that. There are terrifyingly bumpy bike lanes. There are all sorts of stuff. There is actually some sort of infrastructure for things other than just cars. There is even... A modicum of public transport around here, Ooh. although it doesn't work wonderfully. Well, it doesn't work wonderfully well at the minute. So anyway, I needed a car because to get from here in my weekly trip to the office, it's about 45 minutes by car and goodness knows, I don't think it's actually possible to get there any other way. Okay. Uh, because it is a little bit out in the sticks. I bought a car and I was buying a car or trying to buy a car in July, 2022. And of course, in July, 2022... There were no cars. No, that's that was difficult. Yes, there were no new. No, there were no cars. There were no new cars to be had to lease or to buy on the never never. Uh, there were very few used cars, and any that there were, the prices were just scarce. I was asked this morning, "Why didn't I buy a V8 Mustang?" I've been asked that so many times because you couldn't get a sodding V8 Mustang, and also I didn't want a V8 Mustang because that was too much of a stereotype. <laughs> <laughs> but it would go well with your your cowboy hat and boots <laughs> yeah exactly obviously i set myself a couple of limits on on choosing a car in the u.s and, and the first really one, alan which, and really the, this is so surprising that you have a list of requirements that is perhaps a little left field well basically one of them was don't want something that's sold in europe that by the way also knocked out the mustang because you can buy that in europe they're not all that left field. I mean, really? really, I was aware initially. Well, no, it just it had to it had to to not be available in Europe. Okay. So there's no point in coming over here and buying a Mercedes or a BMW because, quite frankly, I don't want to buy a Mercedes or BMW in Europe, and I could have had a much better choice, but better models in Europe. Mm -hmm. So that was completely pointless. I felt similarly very aware of the winters. He says, looking out the window at the snow, the winters and uh, road conditions and stuff over here. I didn't really want 3,000 horsepower rear wheel drive muscle nutmobile. Not that I could have got one anyway, <laughs> uh, or not one that you'd want to own or drive safely. And also the last little bit, which really wasn't really a requirement per se, was it had to be something that was going to be relatively reliable. Because, of course, I've just moved across an ocean. I have lost my entire... Um, support network. <laughs> lost my, my entire support network, basically. Yeah, I have no support network. Friends over here are not car people. 
they don't have a support network I can sort of really plumb into. Yeah. So I've lost my support network. So it had to be something that was going to be relatively reliable. And so as a result, I chose a car that's seven years old where the brand ceased to be six years ago and all sorts of other sensible stuff like that, but which is fundamentally a Toyota because for those of you who don't know, Scion, it was Toyota's youth brand. (laughs) Yeah, I hate saying youth. It always makes me think of Janet Street Porter in early days of Channel 4. It's just (laughs) never really very very complimentary. Hey, you kids are so funky. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The aim of Scion was to bring a sort of Japanese and European style cars to America at a relatively low price point. The idea was that they were targeting younger buyers or certainly younger drivers okay instead of a used older volkswagen uh, used older bmw or mercedes then they could get pretty much the same features but modern safety and newness mm-hmm. and rel- in most cases relatively good looking cars at a fraction of the price and, and that worked quite well as a target because what was happening was parents would buy their kids a new scion mm-hmm. rather than buying them a used german brand okay. a used audi say that worked because the cars were well okay we'll come to the sort of speed and handling and all that stuff yeah uh, coming up but it was generally successful it was lots of you know they did lots of of sort of uh, slightly guerrilla marketing techniques a word of mouth it was launched in 2004, so it was a little bit before the internet was just taking off. But in these days, they would do most of their marketing via social media. Nowadays, you, you, you could imagine a modern Scion having a TikTok. Yeah. So that kind of thing wouldn't surprise me. And that was, and, and it worked. Uh, the TC itself had the youngest average age, uh, the youngest average buyers of any new car in the US for many years. I think it was something like 27 or 24. And that was the first owner. Okay. And that was the average age. TC itself was around for quite a long time. It was first launched in 2004. It was a heavy facelift into 2010. And it finished production in 2016 when uh, Toyota uh, North America discontinued Scion. Mm -hmm. TC was just about the biggest of the most were sort of uh, Yaris, yes, take a drink, uh, platform-based cars uh the toyota urban cruiser was sold over here as an i something rather the iq was sold as a silent ia um so you know mostly small uh we'll talk about size and platforms and stuff in a, in a little bit uh, rather than going into that nerdiness here but the tc is slightly larger than a hat than a normal hatchback than a c uh, c-class hatchback in europe because reasons and america and that was, as I say, about the biggest vehicle. So so generally, apart from the very uh, economy-focused Echo and Yaris, then the Scion range sat alongside those cars, less budget mm-hmm. and a bit more funky. Okay. That's one of the reasons, I guess, why it was a separate brand to, to keep the, the sort of division between the very worthy but very dull Toyota badge cars you know the yaris sedan is it's not exactly the most exciting thing in the world not even to me <laughs> when i look at it and go oh that's a bit awful isn't it then you know it's quite bad all right did i say that for most of its life it was the best selling scion i think i did 
2006 was the best sales year. They almost 80,000 that were registered on US roads tailed off uh, a bit after that. It was a blip when the facelift was introduced, but certainly the second generation, which is what we're going to talk about, was not quite the sales success of the first generation. Part of that is because the FRS was introduced. The FRS is the forgotten triplet uh, from the GT86, the BRZ. And of course, initially it was sold over here as the Scion FRS. Before 2016, Closure Scion, they went to and called it the GT86, the uh, sold its Toyota over here as well. Uh, so TC2 lost out on a lot of sales, uh, partly because of global recessions. Gosh, think of those. Think when the next time we're going to have one of them is. And basically, the, the same manufacturer offering a funkier, cooler car. Yeah for only a couple of thousand more a few thousand dollars more and of course if you're buying it on the on the drip over five or six years that that adds up to maybe a hundred bucks extra a month yeah cut out a couple of lattes and you're sorted in total scion sold four hundred and twenty seven thousand five hundred and seventy one tcs in the u.s alone they also sold it in canada and there was a version called the toyota zealas uh, which was sold in central america china middle east africa and south america so they'll have made about half a million of these curiously for an american only brand and a vehicle mostly sold in america it was it's actually built in japan all right i was surprised too i was expecting it to have a u.s vin but it isn't and it does say made in japan on it okay new in 2016 it cost just under twenty thousand dollars before delivery tax, dealer BS, and all the other stuff that gets added on here in the US of A because you never pay the amount that is listed for anything ever. So wonder you don't have to add 20% to tip the salesman, to be perfectly frank. Um, so it probably came in at just about $23,000, dollars new. Uh, in July 2022, I paid $14,900 for it before tax, registration, and BS. In total... Uh, I paid $16,530, which is a lot of money for an older car with 70,000 miles on the clock. But I'm not bitter or twisted about that in any way, shape, or form. That's good. That's good. I'm really bitter and twisted about that. <laughs> really. Especially now that new cars are available and you see what the monthlies are on the leases and you think, I'd have paid that for an old car. <laughs> but otherwise, let's move on and talk about the car itself, shall we? Yeah. Do you want to describe it to us then, please? Well, I've been kind of, yeah, I've not really sort of gone there. Uh, it is a liftback two-door coupe. It seems terrible, I have to point out the fact that it's two doors these days, but that's what marketing departments do to us all. It's got quite a distinctive cab-forward silhouette. You could argue that in some ways in some parts the first generation is better looking it's a little bit plainer but it's a little bit sort of pure a little bit more audi tt-ish around the front end like it's not quite audi tt-ish but it's a much simpler graphic around the front end uh, and around the rear although in other ways actually i prefer the rear of the this second generation it is despite my grumbling and muttering it's still pretty good looking and it's definitely not modern car ugly um you know there are a very limited number of slashes swoops and gratuitous crinkles which is far more than you can say for most new cars coming out around now yeah it's got quite weird proportions so that cab forward stance and the two-door coupe mm. where normally you'd expect a long a long long bonnet but that tends to come down to the underpinnings 
despite the fact they sold about half a million of these, but that was still over many years of production and uh, 12 years of production. That's not a lot of cars in Toyota terms. No. The platform it's based on is the MC platform. That underpinned a whole bunch of vehicles that you will have heard of. Uh, first generation Aris, that well-known dynamic vehicle. First generation Avensis, uh, the one built at Burnison. Well, Aris was built at Burnison too. Two generations of RAV4 and the third generation Prius, as well as the Lexus CT and the Lexus NX, which means short bonnet, lots of cabin space for its length were, were almost given. So that whole sort of distance between the firewall and the front axle kind of governs a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm really so those were the kind of hard points but i think that given what the designers had to work with as regards proportions i think they've done a pretty dashed good job actually i think it's it's handsome it's distinctive um it's a nice looking thing i, I noticed somebody recently did a quick sort of pencil sketch and said what well, what is this by just kind of showing the glass house in the upper part now i was not the first person to say touch scion tc mm. It is a distinctive shape and distinctive element that no other car has, which is kind of cool. Where the the very front of it, I'm getting hints of the Lexus R. Is it RF? RC or the RC the um, sporty yeah, you're saloon? RC and RCF. Yeah, because uh, um, those headlights are very much that, and the the front grille. And I don't mean that disparaging anywhere. Quite like the front of that. To be it honest. was of a type. This came first, and then the certainly the Corolla over here copied that there's certain there are points of lexus in there as well there's all sorts of little bits as i say it's a bit of a bit sir mm. but that's also part of the reason for having a sub brand is you get to experiment mm. and play with stuff yeah i think this one had those that style of light with the sort of slash coming down from the outer edge of it mm. Uh, into the bumper a bit before most other Toyota and most other other Lexus. Mm. The Toyota Zilas that I mentioned earlier, it was kind of halfway in between the verse of th- this uh, post-facelift and the pre-facelift, which was far more blocky mm. around the front. And so it sort of fitted halfway in between. And then uh, I think after the facelift, they, they went for this sort of slightly more Toyota family look around the front anyway. Mm-hmm. The outside, lots of nice details, indicators in the mirrors. There's complex, good-looking headlamps. They work well as well, by the way. Neat profile bumpers. Uh, sadly, they also have uh, Lexus rear lights. I think that was to approach the youth <laughs> market. Uh, but I am prepared to forgive them because the indicators are all amber. <laughs> I guess that ties back to that Euro look and feel thing. God, I hate red. Red indicators. And what I really hate is the European brands that do it for over here. They do red indicators over here when you know perfectly well that in the rest of the world they're in orange. I can't wait till he gets onto the number of nuts on his wheels. <laughs> I'm not that bad. Not quite. Not quite. <laughs> Other cool thing about these is they all have a glass roof. So there's quite a large wind. Uh, quite a, there's a windscreen, and then there's uh, two glass panels in in the roof. The first one is like a big sunroof, mm-hmm. a, a decent sized sunroof. It tilts and slides back outside the car. It's it's good. The inside, pardon me, the back one is fixed in place, obviously because the other one goes over the top of it. And then of course the the, the rear hatch has this very long, like three acres of glass in it, <laughs> as well. It looks great because especially even if they're in lighter colors, it's like having that black roof because it's quite heavily tinted on the top. 
that inside it actually makes, which we'll talk about shortly, it actually makes the inside quite light and airy. Oh, good. There were colors available. Mm-hmm. Mine is cosmic gray, which isn't really gray. It is a sort of greeny blue, very dark greeny blue metallic. I think it's a really, really nice color. I think it suits it well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's not, despite the name, it's not actually gray. Uh, you could have metallic blue, white, silver, actu- uh, black and gray. Well, actually, some of the names are fantastic. So there's cosmic gray. the cement. There's absolutely red. <laughs> which is just red. It's like a pillar box. <laughs> Magnetic gray metallic. <laughs> which is just dark gray. Blizzard pearl. White. Black. Pearl white. I've not seen a pearl. You know, I've not seen a white one. I don't think I've seen a white one. Uh, yeah, there's metallic black. They're pretty much all metallics apart from absolutely red, which is just red. And then blue streak metallic. It's quite nice. Yeah, it does look good. It does look good. It's quite <laughs> nice. But no, mine is definitely my favorite color. I, I, I do really like the color of it. Um, there might be many different finishes of it because history. It is, I mean, it's it's not as bad as Mercedes, uh, but it's, uh, <laughs> sorry, Chris. Uh, the, but yeah, it, it's it's a really nice color. Okay, then, come on, take us to the inside. Start at the back, as usual. Yep. The boot is really big. It's not very deep, but it is really big. And and the access to it, it's a lift back. You love a little fast back. You love that. It means about a third of the car opens up. (laughs) Uh, It really is. It's like something out of you only live twice and you half expect it to be another smaller spaceship inside it or rocket inside it. (laughs) There isn't a lot of undercroft space, as there is a space saver and a jack, but there is sort of uh, room in the trays under there for a, a high-vis, some spare oil, etc. There's cubby holes at the side, which I've got kitchen paper and stuff in, just because I always have that and oil and stuff in my cars, because I'm me. Mm-hmm. Rear seat splits 60-40. Uh, it can accommodate road bike with both wheels on, lying down without any issue. Uh, between there and the back of the front seats. That's quite impressive. Handy. Uh, one thing I will say, before I move on, though, from the boot, because it it's just a massive boot and really practical to get to. Uh, one thing is that the you didn't get a luggage cover as standard, and that seems to be a thing over here. You don't generally get... I know, exactly, exactly. So I found a new old stock one okay. uh, on eBay. It's kind of curious in that it, is, it doesn't retract or anything. It is just kind of like a hammock, <laughs> which studs in... <laughs> studs in between the rear lights at the back and then there is a kind of hammocky bit at the front it's a bit of a faff you know when you put your shopping bags in you've got to undo two pop studs open it up and then put two pop studs back out again it's just like mm. yes this wasn't really considered was it but given how much glass there is at the back and it's not hint- and it's not heavily tinted or anything i just didn't want anybody seeing everything that was in my boot no really not at all so yeah i managed to acquire one of those for a whopping 80 dollars or something but it makes so it's a worthwhile addition yep inside generally airy and bright thanks to that glass roof which i've said the glass roof has blinds on it for both. It's got two, one bigger one, one little one. Um, a little bit of poking means I've kind of fixed the front one. But they stop it being too much of a greenhouse in the summer. Yeah, kind of. But in the summer, I generally had them closed. And now that it's colder, and certainly during the during the fall in New England, I had it. Uh, I had them open quite a lot. It's okay. just nice and, let's say, bright and airy. Rear seats. It has rear seats. They are accessible. Okay. 
unusual for a car of mine. I was going to say this is this is not the usual standard we expect from Alan. <laughs> no, uh, so the rear seats are actually the front seats fold. They even remember their position, which is a novelty as well. And they actually fold in any meaningful manner, <laughs> which is a novelty as well. As they're quite easy to get into, the doors open quite wide. They're relatively long. They're not ridiculous. They're not unwieldy in parking spaces. But then the parking spaces here are so much bigger than the car, it does make life much easier. You mean they've grown in the last 40 years, unlike ours? Uh, yeah, just big trucks. And yeah. 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 I think they started off bigger, to be honest, yeah. because, you know, think of some of the land yachts and stuff. <laughs> So they probably haven't grown in the last 40 years. It's possibly not. No. They just started from, as opposed to an Austin 1100, they're talking about a, whatever, Monte Carlo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Where was I going with this? Oh, yeah, rear seats. Lots of leg and, ho- sh- leg and shoulder room. Headroom is a bit tight, and you do tend to feel it's, it's a little bit close to the glass of the hatch. Okay. But you do have cup holders. So, hey, all is not lost. Well, it's an American car. Surely you... The first thing that you count is the number of cup holders, and then you worry about things like doors, seats. Does it actually have yeah, a gear stick? Four, four <laughs> cup holders, two bottle holders. And it's a five-seater. There's two Isofix seats in the rear and three three-point seat belts. Uh, the seats are quite sculpted. I mean, they're not ridiculous, but I still wouldn't fancy being in the middle because that's going to pop you even higher and make mm-hmm. your head even closer to the glass. So let's just pretend there's two seats in the back, shall we? <laughs> Despite the seat belts. There is a transmission tunnel for the third passenger, uh, by the way, so that makes it even less comfortable. <laughs> Why is there a transmission tunnel in the front-wheel drive car? Because it's an all-wheel drive platform, uh, which uh. does make me start thinking about terrible things, about how you could possibly swap out the entire transmission for something more interesting instead. You do not have a support network. Oh, I don't. No, no, no. It's not happening. It's not happening. <laughs> but it might be possible if somebody did it. Lots of space in the front. Grippy, comfy seats. Look a lot like the seats from a Corolla T-Sport, but trimmed in a lighter colour. I suspect they are uh, the same seats as you would find in a Corolla T-Sport, because I would almost put money on them having been built on or near the same production line. And they're great. You know, you can do eight-hour journeys and stuff, and it's it's perfectly comfortable. It's really comfy and great in the T-Sport, so mm-hmm. I'm never going to complain about that. Visibility is an issue. Okay. That shallow glass house, yeah, it's distinctive. Yeah, it looks good. Yeah, the mirrors are neat and they have external indicatory bits on it and they look good. And that bold C-pillar really sort of defines the side of the car and the profile and it also looks good. Sadly, none of them helps you understand the surroundings of the car. <laughs> Visibility, I find, is just a, is, is a constant challenge. I've no idea why it's quite so bad other than those three points but the front the front end does drop off you can't see the back it's very hard yeah and there's and, and, but, it's, you know, it's when we get judging to where everything is, is so tricky judging where everything is and judging where other vehicles are as well because people are quite bad for sitting in your blind spot oh, okay um that's that's more the point i mean it is a pain in the butt to reverse park but yeah similarly judging where other vehicles are is, is tricky okay as far as the dash, there's a clear but basic binnacle. You get speed, revs, and fuel in dials, everything else. Uh, for example, temperature is a warning light, just like the Yaris T-Sport. There's a trip computer. Uh, that counts as an odometer, two trip counters, miles per gallon in US miles, and an outside temperature in degrees Farage only. There is nothing you can do to change that to Celsius, despite the fact that the car was sold in Canada. 
also with disease degrees disease farage yeah that works too Uh, also with degrees farage i assume that it can show it it's possible to change it because then they might well have used that for the rest of the world outside of north america but i can't work out how to and nobody seems to know okay Passenger gets a view of the large glove box and some vents. Center console canted round. It's kind of horizontal. It's quite nice. Canted round towards the driver. Vents at the top. There's a 6.1 inch color touch screen with some buttons. Pioneer infotainment system. There was an optional nav module for it if you went for the premium audio. I still get a nav button, uh, but the it gets all German brand about this module is not installed type of thing. <laughs> on it so uh, it sort of tells you off for not having forked out uh, a little bit more for that below the touchscreen are three familiar toyota parts bin style knobs uh, for direction uh, or air direction fan speed temperature with buttons in the middle for aircon research heated rear screen uh, it is manual aircon not automatic but it uh, but it still works well okay underneath that the base there's a slippery cubby hole of uselessness <laughs> it doesn't really restrain anything it doesn't there's nothing there's no grippy dimples or anything it's just a space in which i guess you could put something if you wanted to slide around a lot it has a 12 volt socket in there it also has the usb socket to plug into the stereo back from that it's a gear lever pair of cup holders handbrake and a cubby or armrest okay you've described the outside you've described the inside so what's it like to actually drive well Think about what you know about the other vehicles on this platform. Yes. Prius, Lexus CT. It's not a hardcore sports car. I was going to say they're all renowned for extreme dynamism. Dynamism. Around racetracks, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely not. (laughs) But then again, you are in America. So I'm in America. So yes, well, even then, there's not really been anywhere to test it out. I was going to say, it's not so bad if if it was... (laughs) Not up here. It's it's not a hardcore sports car. It is more of a GT cruiser. Mm-hmm. Um, it is moderately happy around town, although some of the infrastructure around here is so blooming awful that it, it gets distinctly unhappy, but then as does anything short of, I don't know, a suburban probably. Um, the thing is, it was intended to be quick enough. Remember back to what the sign was about, what the car was about. It was intended to be not embarrassingly slow but not so fast that parents were put off buying them for yeah. little Trey as he goes to high school and stuff. So it was never meant to be hitting the sixes in the quarter mile and stuff. Mm. The engine itself, two and a half liter inline four. It's the same one. We've only really had it in, it's an engine we've only really had in Europe as part of hybrid drivetrains. Okay. So I mentioned the CT before. So if you had a CT250H, or some of the earlier Lexus uh, NX hybrids, then you've got the say this two and a half liter inline four um, powering that powers 180 brake horsepower. For those of you who are paying attention at home, you'll go 180. That's the same as the Corolla T Sport was, and the two ZZ. Never could there be two more different engines putting out <laughs> the same the same horsepower. This is not a Revy car. The torque curve's pretty flat. There's little benefit to revving it. In fact, there's so little benefit to revving it that I had it about a month before I discovered there was actually variable valve timing uh, because it only kicks in instead of in in Europe, it kicks in at two and a half to two and three quarter thousand revs. 
uh, certainly in the Yaris. Here, it kicks in at four and a quarter. And quite frankly, the car is just distinctly unhappy. It's, it's happier now than it was when I bought it, actually, just through use. But it doesn't encourage revving that high. VVTi, I maybe get it kick in once a week, perhaps, these days. Okay. Yeah, it's not really worth it. It's totally and utterly different. So it's 180 horsepower, but quite a lot of torques just stably right the way through. Six-speed manual is standard in the TC, uh, in the TC2. Uh, but many cars had the optional six-speed auto, which had a manual shift mode, flappy paddles, and rev matching on the downshifts. Yeah, I don't have one of those. <laughs> on the other hand, 0 to 60 miles an hour is quoted as 6.5 seconds for the manual, 7.4 seconds for the auto. As I say, for longer journeys, happy sitting on tra- with traffic on interstates and highways. Uh, and sitting at traffic means sitting at European speed limits, and I don't mean British speed limits, uh, generally, and it has enough poke to overtake, uh, even in six, although you're better off shifting down to fifth or fourth. Okay. The, the gear shift is perfectly decent, I guess. It's a little bit clicky, but more used by someone who, you know, actually has driven manual in the past, um, seems to be, seems to have loosened up quite nicely. It's quite happy. There are very few canyons or Tale of the Dragon style roads around here. It is kind of flat. There is straight roads. There is woodlands, trees, trees, and more ruddy trees. <laughs> so I've not had much of a chance to drive it particularly hard. Some bushes, I guess, they're getting near replacement at 80,000 miles, but it still drives well. Generally goes where it's pointed now uh, since I invested in some registering quad track all season tires. Uh, when I bought it, it came on some very elderly Chinesium winter tires which they were kind of round okay and they were kind of on each corner but that's the nicest i can say to them in the damp but they were quite squeaky bum really not in a good way (laughs) no not in a good way uh so now there is there is uh far more stability quite a lot more road holding uh once again folks i would remind you that tires matter on cars had there been a choice in July, I would have chosen an auto if I was actually choosing a Scion TC because there had been other choices, much as mm-hmm. I like always like to tie on Scion TC, by the way. It's not that I'm so if somebody forced my arm up my back and said, you will buy this. You know, there are worse things I could have bought. I would have had the auto, better suit the engine, but also US road layouts. The four-way stop as an idea is just a total and utter menace. It's just it's just grim. I've never come seen a four-way stop. It wouldn't be better as a roundabout. For the uninitiated, what is a four-way stop and what's the problem with them? They are where there's a crossroads or a junction and every single entrance to it has a stop sign. Okay. Because they don't really do give way or yield signs over here. It's almost always a stop sign because why would that not help traffic flow? So the trouble with a four-way stop is you're meant to come up and stop. And it's the person to your right who has priority right the way around. I think I'm right. No American knows. So it's just, I don't, yeah. <laughs> so it's always the person to the right has the priority or whoever arrived first and stuff. And then everybody has to stop and then you stare at each other. And then nobody's really sure how they work. So then eventually one vehicle moves and then eventually the next vehicle moves. Once it's kind of worked out, it's possibly them next. Uh, whereas with a roundabout, of course, um, it's a giveaway sign on the entrance, so the traffic can keep on moving, can regulate speed on approach. You can see who's on the roundabout because they've got priority, uh, and then you can regulate speeds. Um, and even if it's one of those little dimples that we all grumble about in the UK because we don't know how good we've got it, 
they do keep the traffic moving and that doesn't happen here obviously in a manual you've got to shift right down first gear again to move off etc in an auto it's less of a pain because of course you just keep your foot on the brake and then you just lift off and move away as opposed to having to having to sort of jiggle the gear stick if you ever wonder why manuals don't sell over here and why they're not such a great idea the four-way stop is a major part of that okay rest of the time it doesn't really matter thank you for making us more culturally aware something like that this is the non-sweary version by the way (laughs) it's taken six months to get myself calm enough to get to the non-sweary version well while you're still not swearing then take us to all the tech that is packed inside this car Okay, so this is a seven-year-old low-cost American car, generally speaking. And they've tried to put some other uh, funky things in, which and which increase the cost. As a result, um, uh, adaptive cruise control, lane-keeping assist, uh, emergency brake warning, all these things, they don't exist. It doesn't have a reversing camera. It doesn't have any parking sensors, much to my disgust. Uh, it has no climate control. It has no sat-nav. Technology... Mm, no not really uh, it does have a flipping excellent stereo though um i was all ready to swap out the stereo for something with full-on car play and spent 350 dollars on that in fact we've even got a fitting kit <laughs> for whenever i bought the stereo that was going to replace it and then actually i used it a bit and i used it a bit more and i thought this is really good so it has a many many speaker pioneer stereo okay that 6.1 inch uh display it's got Really good Bluetooth. It's reliable. Uh, if when you, on the occasions when I've had to use the phone function, people can hear me at the other end and I mm. can hear them. Wow. In a Toyota of a few years old, this is a novelty. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the touch to and go system in the GRMN has many good points. Its ability to connect to something via Bluetooth is not, and to then be audible both ways is not one of them. <laughs> yeah when someone toyota phones you up and go i can't hear you very well it's like well i'm having to do yes i answered from the car my car and it's like oh okay then there are many many speakers inside it uh there's certainly there's a tweeter mid-range and and some sort of larger bass style speakers in each front door there are others scattered randomly around the interior I'm not a, a particularly music person, but it does have. You can listen to some pumping tunes. You can you can put through um, Mighty Car Mods, Too Sexy, through it, and you can basically have all the which was you know a tune specifically written to try all these things of basing <laughs> cars, and, and you can actually sort of make some of the interior panels rattle uh, by by turning it up, and still with decent sound quality. That's the amazing <laughs> part. It's better than than quite a few new cars. Definitely better than any of my cars in the UK um there but it's also nice and clear for podcasts spoken media uh, which is a luxury as well because again the grmn not good for that you can't really listen to podcasts in the grmn just the harmonic i don't know what it is you just can't um oh yeah there's one last piece of tech there is cruise control which is manual old school cruise control uh, i don't use it very much because it's the classic toyota stalk hidden by the steering wheel setup which is somewhere down by your right knee uh, also the traffic around here if i'm going to and from work uh, traffic around here is quite busy it's free flowing but it's too busy for me to want to fiddle with cruise control uh, where i still don't really know which way i don't know all the functions by touch oh, okay yep got that well it really sort of brings us to the verdict now you start off describing this 
and the process you've had to go through a little bit disappointed because of circumstances out of your control. Oh, don't even talk. You see, you'll notice there's a couple of things I've skipped, like getting your US driving license and buying a car in the US of A, which is just the same hellscape you would imagine it to be. But as you said, this is the non-sweary version. Mm -hmm. So that's why we have avoided certain topics. Mm -hmm. Verdict then. Now you've run it for a little while. Yeah, and I had to run it for a little while. And I, it's, it's a nice car. It is a nice car. It just passed 80,085 miles last week. Look forward to the picture being in the show notes. It's, well, yes, exactly. Uh, the, you'll, you'll censor it though. Uh, uh, the, uh, it's, and you know what? It drives well. It's fine. It's, it's all right. I, I just feel I had to pay too much money for it, but there was no choice at the time. That was just the yeah. market at, the, at that moment. But it's a, it's a decent car. It's a good car. Would it have sold in Europe? Probably not. It would have sold less than the 7th Gen Celica, which came just before it. I mean, there is a muttering that TC stands for Toyota Celica, is one of the things, mm. that it would have been the next generation Celica. I don't think it would have sold well in the UK, but they got almost half a million sales here in the US, so they're obviously doing something right. Yeah. It's nice. It's comfortable. It's relatively economical. I get almost 30 UK to the gallon. Okay. That's not bad. I'll probably get slightly more. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's not bad at all. And that's sort of motorway cruising around town. It's a nice car. It looks good. It drives relatively well, well enough for most folk. It's adequately quick. It's very comfortable. It's got lots of space, uh, whilst not being too big on the road or too showy, but respectable enough, because that was one of my aims whenever I, I bought a car over here. I couldn't just go out and buy a $2,000 Malibu or something uh, with the <laughs> wings falling off. Um, you know, there's a certain amount, you know, of, of it had to be respectable enough. And it, it definitely hits, you know, ticks all of those, all of those boxes. So yes, I like it. It's nice. Oh, I'm just bitter over the price, really. <laughs> That's it. That's the worst I can come up with. And and that was, you know what, when it was new, it was a flipping bargain. That's what I hate even more was when it was new, it was a bargain. Well, I'm glad you've got something that you, uh, ignoring the price, but to use, you are relatively happy to. Yeah. And I'm not actually driving got. as much as a as I did in the UK either. So it's not a big deal. Uh. Well, it's a bit of a big deal, to be honest. It's not that big a big deal. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see how long I keep it for. It's just because of that high price cost to change is a pain. That's what it boils down to. All right. Okay. <sighs> anyway, on which happy note, I do quite like it. I do quite like it. And I've, I've repaired and done lots of little tweaky bits, like sorted where previous owners have painted stuff badly and, it has fewer squeaks than it did, and it has no squeaks anymore, actually, because yeah, I discovered all of those and sorted them and stuff like that. Yeah, you have fettled a bit. Hmm, a little bit, but not, I've not upgraded. I've just fixed. No, no, you've not really. gone Johnny the Aris, but you've just, no. you've gone more Mercedes. No, the only thing that's been changed away from standard is the aerial on the rear wing, which I replaced instead of the long one, which would poke my eye out reaching into the boot. Um, I replaced it with a Honda S2000 one, which is the same thing as I've done on Johnny Yaris. Well, Johnny Yaris and GRMN for aesthetic reasons, and then on the back of the NDMX5. Uh, again, similar reasons, so I don't poke my eye out when I'm reaching into the boot. It's a kind of standard mod, but other than that, everything is standard. Good. Cool. Aside, aside, don't forget 
but between now and next time you give us any feedback share your thoughts the show at motoring podcast on twitter and instagram on facebook and on the contact page of motoringpodcast.com the hub of all our activities please don't forget to leave a review and rating on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing Andrew, in the meantime, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is via Twitter. If you search for Crack Windscreen, you should find me there. And Alan, if people would like to know even more about the Scion or perhaps the joyous buying... Oh, it's wonderful. ...nightmare, what's the best way for them to uh, get in touch with you personally? Uh, you can uh, <laughs> best use Twitter, really, uh, where I'm at AJP Brad, that's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y. Uh, we'll be back before very long, but until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring.